Hello and welcome to Sports by Northwest. I'm Bill Warren, the sports columnist at the Oregonian. It is spring in the Pacific Northwest, which means it is spring football in the Pacific Northwest, which we're going to dive into today. I'm joined by two of the state of Oregon's foremost experts. You know what? The two foremost experts on uh, college football in the state of Oregon are beat writers on the Ducks and Beavers, James Crepia down in Eugene, and Nick Daschle, um, the king of Corvallis. Gentlemen, how are we doing this fine, rainy April day? Doing well, Bill. How are you? Not bad. It's made my one trip to Corvallis this week because they only open up one practice a week. So, um. well, I mean, let's 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 talk about about these spring practices. For several weeks, um, both the Ducks and Beavers have been getting it in, um, preparing for next season. Both teams were ten and three last year. Um, the Beavers won uh, the rivalry game. Both teams won their bowl games, and I think you know we talked at the end of last year about. 10 and three being a real triumph for Oregon state and 10 and three being a bit of a disappointment for, um, for the ducks uh, real quickly. Just why don't you guys each give me one thing you've learned from your respective beats and then we'll dive into it a little bit deeper, but what's one thing you've learned in spring practice so far about your team, starting with James. Well, so far uh, there has not been a truly like shocking development or anything like that. I'd say, um, We've gotten a little bit of context and stuff with the new offense and Will Stein coming in, uh, and it, again, not a, not a shocker that things you know things went well, so they're not going to reinvent the wheel. Uh, you know, things are going to be relatively the same. But again, that wasn't really a huge huge surprise. I don't know if I'd say I'd learned that per se. Um, certainly, some position battles uh, that again weren't weren't surprising, but starting to see exactly where some folks are fitting in. Uh, say learned would be probably a couple of guys maybe at some new positions or just a little bit of movement um a guy like jamal hill going from deep safety and a little bit of nickel safety to the second level and working more with the inside backers not a stunning move but a move nevertheless that you know one of the questions would have been for entering the offseason how do they go about moving personnel uh, or not how do they go about filling certain positions uh, where they were a little bit thinner inside backer being one of them they brought in a couple of transfers uh, and now since spring has started in the last week had uh, you know one of the transfers who left over the weekend uh, was at that position so that would probably be I'd say one of them that would truly be in the category of learned it was just moving some personnel around and how they're trying to fill some holes and it's such a good point that kind of underscores what you're saying James spring football is not necessarily when the big sledgehammers, the big wow sledgehammers come down the pike annually. This is a chance for, I mean, obviously a chance for the coaches to get hands on the players, a chance for them to start implementing, like you said, you know, a, a, a different offense um, with, with Will Stein replacing Kenny Dillingham. Um, and Nick, what, how about in Corvallis? What has been the, the, the biggest takeaway uh, so far? And I would also note uh, Oregon State has their spring game on Saturday, this upcoming Saturday, the 22nd the Ducks, the Saturday that follows on the 29th down in Eugene. But, Nick, take it away. So, I mean, it's a little, it's a little difficult to come up with a, you know, a, a great takeaway on what, what's, what they've done this spring, partially because you know, we've only seen a half a dozen practices. And Jonathan's been really, he's been really cautious on, on veterans. If they have any, you know, anything at all, they sit. They don't, they don't practice. And, so there's been a lot of guys that we know are going to, you know, play in the fall, just haven't been out there for whatever reason. Um, but I'd say probably the biggest thing is that the defense looks like it's going to be okay. I mean, they lost a lot of veterans off that 
off last year's um, set, off last year's defense, particularly in the secondary. But it appears, you know, these guys, the, the, the replacements they got, they've been recruiting better, you know, year after year with Jonathan. And, and these guys that have been waiting their turn, they, they appear to be, you know, they, they, at least – the spring appear to be okay. The secondary, especially in the, you know the safety position, is is really, really looks good, and the defensive line looks looks pretty good. So Jonathan's even said that this is the best defensive line he's had in, in his six years at Oregon State. So, you know that's been that, that, those are the two questions. There's been two questions going in. One is you know what what are they gonna do with quarterback, and second you know can the defense pick it up from from a year ago? And I think defensively they'll be okay. So let's talk about that quarterback position with the Beavers, Nick, because I don't think Oregon, I don't even think Oregon State has never gotten a transfer or um, a player with the pedigree or reputation uh, that their new quarterback, uh, DJ Uyangalele, comes in with after being a five star recruit out of California, going to Clemson. Um, started for a few years at Clemson. Um, I think, you know, was seen as a guy who was going to be in the mix for Heisman trophies when he got to Clemson. Things obviously turned south there, and he finds himself at Oregon State. And, you know, that feels like a slam dunk for the Beavers, minus the fact that they have an incumbent quarterback who, in Ben Goldbrinson, who was the backup last year, won, what, he goes 7-1 and one last year as the starter? Yeah. Um, I guess from where I sit, you bring in DJ because he's going to be the starting quarterback, and you you – don't disrespect Ben by saying, you know, you're going to be the backup again because he deserves better treatment than that. How do you view this quarterback situation? Is there a quarterback battle? And is it possible that Ben Goldbrinson is the quarterback when they open the season at San Jose State in September? Well, first of all, you got you to understand, Jonathan, you, you bring in a quarterback like DJ, uh, there's a lot of programs that kind of have this implied – you're the guy. You're going to be our guy next year. That's not the way Jonathan works. He he's going to watch spring. He's going to watch. He's going to watch August, and he's going to play the best guy. He he he's he's he is just one of these guys that's just not married to you know making promises to anybody. So, in in that sense, Ben's got a chance. He's got a chance to start, and you know through what are we on? We what were we at? Twelve practices. I mean, it's it's a, it's a coin flip right now, and then you throw in Aiden Childs, the freshman kid, who I don't think is going to play because he's you know 175 pounds, 180 maybe, and but but he boy he's got some tools, but I just think he you know he's going to need a year, but he looks he looks the part. But I, I you know, and, and DJ has got to learn how to play under center because that's a lot of Oregon State's offense. He he didn't do that at Clemson, so that's part of where, what he's doing this spring is learn how to play under center. Um, yeah, he doesn't throw the he doesn't appear to throw the prettiest ball in the world, but uh, you know as long as he gets the receivers, you know, I I just at this point I would just say it's a coin flip and and you know let's see and he, he, Jonathan's not going to make a decision uh, going into you know going coming out of spring and I even asked Brian Lindgren yesterday, um, you know, could this go into the season? And you know, he he didn't rule it out. I I, I think there's a good chance they they may play both of them at least early you know, those first couple games just to because it's San Jose State, it's UC Davis, it's San Diego State. It's not you know those are games they should win, and um, I I could see that. I'm not saying they're going to do that, but I could see them doing that. Well, when you talk about not throwing the prettiest ball, I mean he's he's in he's in competition with you know 
Goldbertson, who was an incredible game manager for the Beavers last year, but I mean, you look at the games they, um, you know, struggled. You know, against Oregon, he didn't throw the ball their entire comeback because he seemed to be only able to find you know the Ducks secondary when he when he put it in the air. So I mean, there's um, some familiarity with quarterbacks. Oh, I mean, in you know, in 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 defense, a little bit. He, he he didn't have he didn't have a lot of great weapons. Sure. I mean, I mean, wh- how how do things change if he has Luke Musgrave? I mean. It's an enormous change, and this year they've got some tight ends. I think that, that that can make a difference. You know, Jack Velling will be in his second year, and he he was starting to come on late last year. And then they got Jermaine Terry, who looks like he can run and run block and and get downfield. So those two guys should make a difference. Nick, one other thing, and then we're going to transition to the Ducks uh, for a minute. But one thing that is a theme with this Beavers team. Last year, it was that they kind of wanted to catch everybody by surprise and that they were raising their own expectations, even though they were still seen as, you know, a middle-of-the-pack um, Pac-12 team. They ended up being one of the five teams that won uh, 10 games. This year, the expectations are going to be higher. And, you know, there's every reason for them to talk about, you know, being in the mix <clears throat> at the top of the conference. They have not had expectations like that, you know, since the Mike Riley era. You know, it's been a decade or more since anybody would dare utter conference championship around Corvallis. How do you see the Beavers um, handling these increased expectations that nobody really affiliated with this Oregon State program has experienced, at least in this in this stretch of time? I mean, it's it's unknowable, it, it, it because the the leadership of last year's team is pretty much gone, and so they're going to have to turn to new guys to get these to, to get the team to you know go through the dog days of summer and, you know, put in the time and, and take, take this seriously. And by all accounts, they, they appear to be doing that. But until we get to the season, you know, we don't know for sure how they can handle being a, a team that people are projecting to win, you know, eight, nine, ten games. Um, you know, last year they won ten games, but there weren't a lot of people out there expecting them to win ten games. They're, they're expected to do that this year. And so, you know, I, it, that's just unknowable till you get in. If Now, if they had last year's veterans on this team, I'd say, yeah, better chance of that. But, you know, do we know that Katano Odapo is, is, is a guy everybody can rally around? Probably, but, but he hasn't been in that, in that spot yet. You know, is the quarterback, you know, we don't know who the quarterback's going to be. Will they rally around whoever that guy is? And um, just, you know, they've lo- you know, they lost – Jaden Grant and Brandon Kipper have been in the program seven and six years. Those those guys were rocks on both sides. They're they're both gone, so they're gonna have to find new guys to rally behind those. And those leaders, they've got to get them, you know, get this team focused, you know, going into August. And you know, we'll just have to see whether that happens or not. Jaden Grant and Brandon Kipper, I think, were in your freshman class at Oregon State, if I'm not mistaken, Nick. <laughs> uh, you're uh, too funny. <laughs> James, uh, similarly uh, with what Nick was saying about the quarterbacks, are we in for a big battle at Oregon between Ty Thompson and, and Bo Nix? No. Or is that pe- that pecking order is pretty established? Nope. Next question. Uh, no, there is there's, uh, there's no, no yeah. there's no debate to be had, and that's not knocking yeah. anyone. That's just you have one of the best returning quarterbacks, if not not just in the league in the country. Um, end of discussion. So I, I mean, obviously, I was I was I was being yes. cute, but it, when we um, when we talk about Bo Nix, I mean, he was the story of the year last year um, at, at Oregon, and and he will be again. His return was a huge development for them. Um, what changes for him in Will Stein's offense 
as opposed to Kenny Dillingham's and how, and is that what we're going to be talking about next year is, is, is Bo Nix in a, in a different system or is it going, is it going to, I mean, we saw what worked for Bo Nix last year and he complete was very comfortable. He thrived. Uh, they took advantage of his tools um, fully. I would say right up until the point he got injured. Um, I would assume that Will Stein and uh, his boss, Dan Lanning are smart enough not to go away from all that. Yeah, no, they're not. Um, they're not going to, uh, I say they're not reinventing the wheel here. Uh, we haven't seen in a uh, competitive setting just yet one spring scrimmage in, even though you know the masses were not uh, uh, permitted to, to so much as be in the building, let alone look at the field. Uh, but it, they're not going to be reinventing the wheel. Uh, anything that you've seen of Will Stein's offense from UTSA uh, tells you that, and you know that by anything that you've seen um, by way of highlights of that from the multiple seasons, by the way, and not just going off what he did last year. They have, you know, what Stein has shown in his limited time as a uh, coordinator at the college level is that he is able to utilize personnel when personnel changes. You know, a couple of years ago, UTSA had, I believe he had like thirteen or 1,400 yards rushing, maybe even more than that. And they lost that running back, Naturally, they threw a lot more, mm-hmm. uh, and they had a lot of really dynamic receivers. When they had dynamic receivers, they found them the ball, and they've had a pretty good quarterback down there uh, who they got to stay around even with multiple members of the coaching staff, the offensive coaching staff, uh, leaving for bigger and better opportunities this past offseason. So he's utilized and gotten the most out of the personnel he's had as a coordinator. And with that said, you come in and you inherit a great quarterback uh, who's coming off a career year, yeah, they're not going to be reinventing the wheel uh, and asking him to do a whole bunch of things that he hasn't done before uh, or to put him in uncomfortable positions or something. Um, they're still going to be doing a lot of the things that they did under Kelly Dillingham schematically. I think the greater question uh, that's still going to be unknown even at the end of spring exactly because I'm not sure Oregon's done adding uh, certain offensive players and, and weapons around Bo is what changes – less so in terms of the scheme or by name of the coordinator and more so in the weapons around him. And does that lead to changes where, when you have a Bucky Irving back who by statistics is the best returning back and most productive returning back in the league. And one of the top 10 in the country, maybe even top five in the country. And you have a really productive receiver in Troy Franklin. That's a lot to build around. And you bring in a Tez Johnson, you bring in, and Treshawn Holden from Alabama. All right, and again, they may not be done. They're in the mix for Gary Bryant Jr., the transfer from USC, and maybe even others. So they've got weapons. They've added weapons. Does that make them – how much better does that make them? And as much as we talk about the offense and change there, frankly, I think the defense only has one direction to go. And you had a top-20 offense. What does a improved defense yeah. do to enhance the offense – and that's going to be an impact on the team regardless of by position or anything. That just in general, because like I say, Oregon's defense really only has one direction to go statistically. So when I say improved, it's a relative term, but improved. What does a better defense do for an offense that was already in the top 20 in every meaningful statistic? What has Dan Lanning's message been about the defense? Because, I mean, listen, this is a defensive coach. I mean, he, he has this job because of what he did with the d- defenses in the SEC, notably Georgia. Um, he brought in Tosh Lupoi, who comes in with a, you know, a, a great recruiting um, 
background and obviously a you know has has worked in all the right places, but that defense, like you said, wasn't on the same level as the offense. What has Lanning said about how they close that gap in his second year? Well, they've talked about not just by words but by actions uh, over the last four plus months since the season ended. You see that the roster churn that they've had uh, and it remains ongoing has been most impactful on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, what were the areas that they were most efficient by far? Pass rush, mm-hmm. which was bad in 21, actually got worse in 22. Now, losing Kayvon Thibodeau is a part of that, yes. Like, but they were historically bad in 21 and got even worse uh, without him. Well, you have to get to the pass. You have to get to the quarterback. You have to get to the passer. Well, they brought in a Jordan Birch who, in the transfer market this offseason, has been and is still the best available pass rusher that was there for the taking. They got him. They need probably more. They signed in their among the high school portion of the class. The biggest glut of that was not just on defense in general, but on the edge. Now, you're not going to necessarily lean on all those freshmen to be the immediate fix, but yeah, they've tried to address it insofar as they can, and they might still address it if somebody else ends up in the portal who's you know, to their liking on the edge, I don't think that's going to stop them from trying to, you know, you have to get to the quarterback more. Yes. Yeah. That impacts the pass defense in general. You lose the best corner in the league, if not possibly the top corner taken in this year's draft in a week in Christian Gonzalez, that might only have one direction to go conversely. And you shut down nearly half the field with them and you still weren't good defending the pass. How much of that is on relative quality of corners? And scheme, and how much of that is on lack of pass rush? Probably both. The answer to that is yes. <laughs> That's why I say like it can only have it only have one direction to go in terms of pass rush. Um, even with losing DJ Johnson, the strength of the team is the defensive line. But does that include the edge? Still a bit of a question mark. Even with Jordan Burke, still a little bit of a question mark. You don't have you know one guy doesn't solve all answers because again they had Kayvon Thibodeau. He didn't go out there and have 15 sacks because everybody in the country who they played tried to double-team him a lot. Um, and they're going to do that to Birch, too. So question still remains, how much more can they get there? So to your question of what have they said about it, they've done it by action. Mm-hmm. In terms of words, some of it is read between the lines of, hey, we did what we could with what we inherited, i.e., maybe not everybody was exactly there to our liking and to what we're trying to do. And some of that led to departures by choice or by force. Uh, and others is, as they said, even Tosh LaPoy said, yeah, you know, we're not, we're not happy, we're not satisfied. And you know, you got to look yourselves in the mirror and talk about that you put people in the best position. And again, he doesn't have to say, and it, it, some of it goes unsaid. It's understood. Sure. They did not put Bennett Williams in a position to succeed when he gave up the touchdown, and it wasn't he gave up. The defense gave up the touchdown against Washington in the game-tying touchdown at the end of the game. They didn't. And we talked about it at the time, but that was one of several instances in where they're trying to get as much as, as much as you can out of players, but did you put them in position to succeed? And the answer was no. So again, it's not just about talent and all that. So they're going to try and put people in better positions. And by having more and better people in improved depth, they hope that that will <laughs> enhance their ability to put them in better positions. Um. <clears throat> Nick, you had a good tweet uh, this week. It was uh, looking way, 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 way ahead into the crystal ball, the crystal ball of Las Vegas, and the one betting line you could find on any of Oregon State's games ne- next season 
was in the Oregon game, Oregon-Oregon State, in Eugene this year, and it was the Ducks minus 7.5, making Oregon a better-than-touchdown favorite in that game. Uh, I want each of you to answer this, both Nick and James. Is that too high, too low, or just right? Given the fact we know uh, absolutely nothing about what the state of these teams is going to be come, oh, November uh, November 24th. But for a way too early betting line for our friends who might be listening in Las Vegas or inclined to throw some silly money at it, <laughs> too high, too low, exactly right. Go ahead, Nick. Yeah, yeah it's, <laughs> that's, and that's what I wrote in the, in the tweet, that how anybody could ever bet on that on that game at this moment, not knowing any of the injuries or situations or anything. I mean, you might as well just light a hundred dollar bill on fire. I mean, who knows? I'm, but you know, if everything is as we know it today, I would say, yeah, six to seven sounds about right. Sounds about right. I, I mean, I don't think it's going to be much higher than that unless there's some, you know, big injuries or Oregon state's four and seven going into the game or, you know, somehow the Ducks only have eight wins or something like that. But if things progress like, you know, we are anticipating, then, yeah, I can, I can, yeah, it, I can see the Ducks by about it. Because I think what was it, it was about a pick em game at, at Corvallis, if I remember right. It, it opened the Ducks. It, it, jumped, it jumped the fence right at right before it, yeah, it, it shifted. Like, it, was, it shifted in, uh, like lines historically never do. Um, there was an incredible influx of late action on Oregon State in the 90 minutes leading up to kickoff. Yeah, it was almost like people. Somebody got tipped off that Knicks might not play or something. Something, something so bizarre that would cause something like that. But I don't know. Anyway, it, yeah, that's what I. I mean, you would you would think that just based on on how they put together lines, it's about that sounds about right. James, how about you? If you were to put a line out now, I understand why it's a, you know that whether it's seven seven and a half, I get why it is. Um, myself, if I, again, if I were in the business of doing it today, going strictly on the talent that we know of today, uh, which again is going to be changed. I would want to know a lot more on May <laughs> 5th. And the reason why I say the 5th is let until the end of the transfer window at the end of April 30th, but then the couple of day lag in data entry. Um, to know exactly just, you just who's wanna, in you, and out. You just want to get you just want to get to the margaritas on Seco de Mayo. Uh, don't, no, don't, don't. Uh, yeah, not not for me. Um, but no, I, I would love to know just in exactly who's at least who's out, if not also who's in um, at at both places. Um, because again, every roster in the country is not done yet. I mean, until I know that, you know, at least a little bit more. But based on what we know today on April the nineteenth, I'd say I would probably go a little bit higher. But not a ton. Um, at most, I would say 10 today. One, historically, no matter what, you know that weather conditions are going to be atrocious. I mean, that's just a given. So no matter what happens, the conditions are awful, rainy, soggy, misty, and all the above. Uh, after last year and the collapse that was, if Oregon at home has any opportunity to keep on pouring on. And if they're in the conversation for the playoff still at that point, 
let alone you know win and you're in the championship game, or even if they already have the championship game secured if they're in contention for it. They are not going to be taking their foot off the gas. There's not going to be a, oh, they're just going to try and ride this out. No, they're going to try and... <laughs> it's not going to be nursing of leads if they have it. Um, so that's why I say I would say maybe a little, little more than 7.5, but I would definitely not go beyond 10 right now today because you know it's just going to be played a certain kind of way stylistically, not just because it's this game or Oregon State does things a certain way offensively. No, it just is. It, it just is. And the weather condition is going to be awful, so you can't say, oh, even if, no, if Nick's turns into a 4,500-yard passer, you can't count on it on November the 24th or 25th. Well, and I would also just say, when you consider last year, you know, the, 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 what, was the, what was the Oregon lead, James, before, before the collapse? 30-something uh, to 10? 31 to 10, wasn't it? Say, 31 to 10. Yeah, it was a three-score so, three score lead, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you talk about that being a close game, you know, at least at the line. Like, the Ducks were blowing it out of the water before the collapse. And I give tons of credit to Oregon State, but a lot of that was on Oregon as well. At home, like you said, after a loss like that, considering the influx of talent at Oregon, um, it does seem like going... And, I, and the reason I find this compelling is not just, oh, like, what should you do with your, your spare change you know, for, for the Oregon-Oregon State game, but... At this moment in time, what team do we think is going to be better? That's something that matters locally. And, you know, last year Oregon State was better, at least head-to-head. And as we kind of project out this season, who do we think is going to be better? Um, You know, all those variables. But, I mean, I think what we're both kind of saying, especially – or what we're all saying, especially with Oregon at home, you would give the Ducks the edge. But, I mean, as we know in this game, I mean, impossible to predict. We saw that last year. We thought we had a – a pretty a pretty decisive answer in the third quarter, and then it flipped the other way. Um, last question for me, and if there's anything you guys want to add, we can get to that. But last year, we the Pac-12 had a Heisman Trophy winner, Caleb Williams, at USC. Uh, I believe he enters the year as the favorite for the Heisman Trophy. Um, my only question is for each of you, if there is another Heisman Trophy winner from the Pac-12 this year, who is it? Hmm. Or put differently, who in the Pac-12 has the best chance of winning the Heisman? Well, the best chance is still going to be Caleb Williams. I mean, the best chance. If you're going to go, not just because, oh, well, he did it last year. No, because of the love fest that is um, with any prior year's award winner regardless. Um, I, I don't care who, where we are, in the uh, even at the professional level. Anybody who did it the year before and had big statistics gets the bounce out of that. Uh, the established brand, uh, if you will. Uh, and that goes with any any level anything. Uh, combined with the fact that he's still operating in Lincoln Riley's offense, uh, and that while defenses in the league are improved, um, he's still probably going to light up a whole lot of teams. Uh, even with without a, a Jordan Addison or, or Travis Dye in the backfield, they still have plenty of skill position talent, uh, even if their offensive line still remains suspect. But if there is an alternative, I think the fact that both Michael Penix Jr. and Bo Nix are listed at basically even odds uh, yep. to each other. And you have to go with a quarterback in general, I, you know, if, I, if you had to make a preseason pick kind of thing. I'm not saying that's absolutely the totally. case, but if you're going to, you know, <laughs> statistically speaking, if you're going to give yourself the best chance, you're going to pick a quarterback. I'd say the fact that those are even money guys to each other makes sense. Returning starters off really historically good years for them and their programs uh, with weapons around them that they're both familiar with in wide-open offenses, yeah, probably, probably. Um, 
I haven't done a, a lot of deep analysis on that, but on first impression, yeah, probably one of the two of them would be, if not both of them, like I say, it's kind of even level. Um, yeah, they'd probably be the next guys. But I'm sure I'm missing someone. There's undoubtedly going to be somebody out there. The random sure. Utah fan listening to this would be telling me I'm crazy, not to mention Cam Rising and how great he is. But I'm sorry, Cam Rising's not going to put up the statistics, uh, especially without the uh, bell cow of a running back that he had to lean on the past couple of seasons. They're just not, Or some of the tight end weapons he had. I don't know what the Utah offense will look like other than by scheme. I, I don't know what it'll look like statistically with Cam Rising <laughs> this year without a Tavion Thomas or, or Dalton Kincaid. So yep. that said, again, somebody will probably pick Shador Sanders just because they're on the hype train at Colorado. Nick, go ahead and make the Jaden yeah. Moore argument for me. Do it. I, I mean, it, it ha- yeah, I don't really have much to add there. It has to be a quarterback if it's the Pac-12. I mean, there's just – if you're going to win in the Pac-12, you got to your, your best player is probably going to be your quarterback. And I mean, those those three guys that, that James mentioned are, you know, probably one, two, three. I mean, Rising, you have to, you can't discount Rising only from the standpoint of if Utah wins the Pac-12, he's going to have to be great. So I don't know. I don't think they. I don't think they're going to win the Pac-12. But if they do, he's he's going to have to be great. So that that would be the only reason to throw him in. And I. I really can't think of anybody else unless, you know, DJ somehow, you know, is transformed into, you know, the, the, the five-star guy he was touted to be two years ago and plays twice as well as he did as a freshman at Clemson. I mean, and Oregon State goes, you know, 12-0 and 0 or something like that. I, I mean, I suppose there's that wild card, but I can't really think of anybody. You know, Stanford and Cal, no. UCLA, no. You know, Arizona State, no. You know, Colorado, I'm, I don't think they're they, – they're not going to be a 10-2 and two team. So, even if Sanders is great, he's not going to be in a consideration. So, Are you saying that Colorado is not ready for primetime? No. I, I – yeah, I'm not – I'm if they get to a winning record, I, I'll be stunned. It would be a great be turnaround. Stunned. I mean, that's a tough job. I mean, my, my only prediction for this upcoming season that Washington State is going to be the worst team in the league. The Wazoo will be the worst team in the league. I, I, I like that, the, James. They will be the worst. The Wazoo team in the will be the worst. Really? Okay. All right. Yeah. Only because I think lost. I think oh, there's they, multiple they candidates for that uh, distinction this well, year. Well, <laughs> there probably there probably are, and I'm probably stepping out on a on a ledge. And the people on Coog Fan, if they hear this, will will light me up. But I mean, oh. they just lost so many players. They, they never just never acknowledge the existence of Coog Fan. Well, <laughs> it exists. Uh, but yeah, I, that's that's my about my only prediction on this one is that I just don't think I just don't think Washington State's going to be very good this year. Well, again, there's just going to be multiple candidates. I think um, the divide, which is always there in this league, um, I, I think is going to be pretty stark at the bottom. And uh, you know, last year obviously we saw that, but Colorado again, only one direction to go. Even if they're not a world beater yet, they're going to be considerably better than they were. Um, ASU will be better than it was, but I still think ASU is in a... Unless Rashada, as a true freshman, just is at levels the likes of which we've never seen before, uh, with weapons that I believe are still relatively unknown <laughs> at the moment, um, including a line as well. I, I, I think ASU is going to be in quite a building process uh, under Dillingham. I think Cal could be... Cal could be... 
really bad. Really bad. Um, and Stanford, I know they're in a big change, and you have no idea what to expect them offensively because it's going to be much more open uh, than both historically or even the god-awful slow mesh um, that they tried to incorporate last year. Uh, but you want to talk about losing personnel. Um, I think Stanford, Cal, and ASU are are all going to be in, in, in the running there. Um, and and st- if I had to pick today, I'd say Stanford's probably going to be the worst in the league um, in the fall. Just because, again, it's not just like everybody changing, but any number of question marks by way of who is the starting go through the list um it's just humongous and they had they had problems before and i think they've got more of them uh let alone the fact that there's a new coaching staff but that's part of a build it's that's a hard job too and david shaw probably doesn't get nearly enough credit and nearly enough love for exactly how you know good he made that um and made it look far easier than it actually was and the fact that they did have the hurdles that they had historically, then now they're making things a bit easier for the transfer portal world. But it's still Stanford. They were lagging there. Then they had both the both Bay Area schools had the COVID uh, uh, restrictions that were the strictest in the country. All those things combined, I think the personnel on both teams, but especially Stanford this year, I think they could be in a world of hurt. The only thing I'll say about Stanford as a proud and stum- stubborn um, alumnus of the University of Montana is that Troy Taylor still gives me nightmares from his last few teams at Sacramento State. And you want to talk about jobs that are tough and were tough places to win. Sacramento State in the Big Sky Conference at the FCS level. I realize we're talking about different things here. But that was a very difficult job where nobody had ever had sustained success. And he turned that into a, a team that was in the mix for a national championship the last couple of years. So, Oh, he could be. Troy Taylor. I was say, I, oh, I, I, I think he'll be I'm just saying, productive and efficient at points, but... He, you still have to have scared. weapons. You still have to have the Jimmys and Joes. And the question is, is how many Jimmys and Joes do they have right now? And I think he walked in at the wrong. If he yeah. came a year ago, if, if Shaw had chosen to step away a year ago, I think he would have walked into a better personnel situation. Sure. I think the personnel situation that he walked into is what makes them a, again, on, on April the 19th, a team that I would pick to be in the cellar this year in the league, just because I don't care who the coach is. I, literally, Nick Saban could be at Stanford this year. If you don't have the players to do damn near anything you want to do, let alone what you can do, um, yeah. And, and I just think they they lost a lot of really talented and important players there um, that at a place like Stanford, it is really hard to replace all of those guys at one time, let alone, again, the, the personnel lag that they had kind of just systemically been in the past couple of years, I think it's going to come back to haunt them this fall. I just want to say, I think that might be the year's only reference where Montana and Stanford are included in the same sins. My, my joke always was that, uh, that, that, that uh, I went to the University of Montana, which is known as the Stanford of the West. So, um, yeah, that it, is uh, a joke. Thank you, thank you. I would say uh, myself. It tells, Bill, tell, I, tells you it tells you about the education I got. I, I never, I I never doubt at all or question your ability to get into either institution, Bill. So I, I personally think you know we can put them in the same. You can put it on your business card. Turn down Stanford to go to Montana. No one will question it. I mean, no, yeah. no one would dare. No, right? no, 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 no,
All right. Well, guys, hey, you've both been so busy, not only with spring football, but wrapping up basketball seasons, other spring sports. Nick, you've had you've had Oregon State at the NCAA Championships. James, both of you have baseball, softball. So I really appreciate you guys taking some time to share your, your wisdom and expertise. Obviously, if you've made it this far in the podcast, you're probably already reading their coverage at Oregon Live. But, I mean, Nick has been all over uh, some of the stuff happening with the Beavers, including the son of Beavers' great Reggie Tung. Uh, moving from offense to defense, just like his dad. Uh, a great conversation with Jaden Grant about his Oregon State experience, and and James has obviously been all over spring football practice as well at down at Oregon, and all the all the ins and outs and comings and goings with the the Ducks. So we'll look forward to more of that as we get into the spring games. Like I said, Beavers this Saturday, April twenty second. The Ducks next Saturday, April 29th. And then, uh, you know, then a little bit of a pause before the, the real stuff starts later this summer. So, gentlemen, thank you to both of you for joining me. Nick Daschle, James Crepia, thank you. Thanks, Bill. All right, we'll see you. Thank you for listening to Sports by Northwest. Continue to support by reading, listening, and telling your friends about the Sports by Northwest podcast and all the great things happening at the Oregonian and Oregon Live. Thank you for listening.